The following podcast may contain adult language and conversations revolving around situations not suitable for immature audiences. Spoilers and general political incorrectness can often be expected, so listener discretion is advised. They must be destroyed on sight! We're back. They must be destroyed on site. Episode eighty-three. I'm your host Lee Russell. I'm joined with my co-host Daniel Harper. How are you doing, sir? I'm completely out of practice in podcasting, but I've got Sierra Vanna celebration on deck, so we'll see how it goes. Excellent, excellent. We actually have a great deal of house cleaning to get through in this episode. Surprising enough, I think we have probably had more feedback than we have had in any other episode before now. So uh, should be fun. First off, we have James Murphy from the Pex Lives podcast. He says, I had never seen Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield before, so I fired it up and had a ball. It's a film that's obviously been cut to ribbons in the editing room and one that started with a demand from the star to not only play a loser, but in fact play the greatest man who ever lived, capable of doing absolutely anything. It's very charming to see Rodney live out his ambitions on screen, and it is a decent piece of 80s cheese there's a story told on the simpsons dvd commentary for the episode with rodney as mr burns son a couple of the writers had been called in to pitch new movie ideas for him post caddyshack after back to school they worked hard for a week to get as many concepts as possible then went off to the meeting they met rodney who apparently was very nice the meeting starts and his agent says first off no fish out of water stories and I think they just had to politely excuse themselves. <laughs> <laughs> he also says, I watched my favorite year with Peter O'Toole for the first time. A great feel-good film that I know I'll rewatch again and again. It's got that breezy tone that makes it feel like it's been part of my life since I was a kid. I'm also halfway through Crimson Peak, a movie that I'm only doing in two sittings because I had to make dinner. I, have, I love Del Toro in his big-budget haunted host mode. It's like that super underrated Benicio uh, Del Toro version of The Wolfman. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, first with Back to School. I don't know. Should we should we consider that something to look at for our sex comedy series, or should that be just something to look at outside of the sex comedy? Cause I, I would I know- be happy to talk about it either way, personally. Yeah. I think we could expand the sex comedy series to 80s comedy series, basically. And, and I, kind of, yeah, because we, we've kind of, a couple of the additions to the sex comedy series, we've kind of maybe skirted the uh, lines quite a bit. But uh, right. either either way, I think maybe some getting some uh, Rodney Dangerfield in our future would be a good thing for the podcast. So I'd love to talk about Back to School because that is a, yeah, a fun, I mean, he's right. It is a fun movie that has, you know, some issues that, you know, but you know, it's kind of like it's it's a it's a it's a very uh, cool movie that it, I'm glad he saw, and I would like to sit down and chat about it at some point. Although I will say, my favorite Rod- Roddy Dangerfield is probably him in Caddyshack. Yeah, because basically that's just get Rodney to show up and do his act. That's pretty yeah. much all he does. <laughs> Shack, you know? Yeah, he just gets to be the the untouchable rich guy who can tell everyone to fuck themselves. <laughs> and then uh, now I kind of want to do if we're going to talk. If we're gonna do sequels, we should do Caddyshack Two, where he gets replaced by uh, Jackie Mason. 
Yeah. And boy, that was not an improvement. No. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it definitely wasn't. That wasn't even a lateral move. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> it's more of a downward spiral, really. Um, right. I've never seen my favorite year, so I'm. Are you yeah, familiar with that one? Yeah. No, not at all. So um, I'm. Hey, James, come back on. Let's do my favorite year. Yeah, apparently we need to get that as well. Try that out. Uh, I've, I also haven't seen Crimson Peak from Del Toro, so. Um, and I am a Del Toro fan, but I'm still waiting for him at the Mountains of Madness. I'm still waiting for him to eventually do that. And yeah, that I, would be nice. It's like fuck. People are throwing money at him for other movies. They should throw some money at him for this. So I put out a uh, query on the Facebook page. We do have a Facebook page, by the way. They must be destroyed on site on Facebook. Best way to get in contact with us, if you hadn't heard. Uh, we haven't. We haven't driven that joke into the ground. No, the no, 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 no. But, you know, but I did uh, put out there if anyone wanted to share their uh, top 10 of any sort for 2016 with us, they could. Cameron Sullivan, who I'm going to dub now basically the MVP of our Facebook group because he's the guy who's <laughs> who most responds to stuff that we put out there other than uh, Mike Murphy, I guess. Maybe they're maybe they're neck and neck. Maybe they should fight for our love. Maybe maybe that should Are happen. we sure they're not the same person? I think it's possible. Uh, I I don't know if they're the same person. But, uh, we really only have one fan, you know, just you know, stalking us from from the distance. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a so single Cameron, one female situation. Oh God, no, 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 no! Cameron put out his ten best action films of 2016 for us. So uh, he's got an uh, interesting list here. He says uh, London has fallen, which I have seen. Mm-hmm. which is absolute trash, but it's actually kind of fun. It's not great, though. <laughs> Jason Bourne, which I've also seen, which is an unnecessary movie altogether. Just go back to the Bourne trilogy, and you don't need to see this movie at all. The Purge election year, which I haven't seen. Suicide Squad, which I wish I hadn't seen. Have you seen Suicide Margot Squad? Robbie, Margot Robbie was good in that. I have deep problems with that movie, which, I don't know, maybe one day we'll watch it again and, and chat about it um, because I don't even come to it as a, as a like fan of the comics. I don't know the, the source material really at all. I just saw the film and went, wow, this is hugely problematic in a lot of ways. And in the ways that it's not, it's just kind of dumb. Um, I yeah. thought there was some fun stuff in it. I did really like some of the characters, but it's just, it's just kind of paint by numbers to some degree. You know, I didn't dislike it as much as you did, but it's, it's just, it's just kind of, why are we doing this? You know, just kind of, yeah. it, feels, it feels both like it's trying to be edgy, but in that like sanitized PG 13 kind of way. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's always, that's always difficult, particularly when you do it on the big screen where you should be able to do the R in a year that had Deadpool, you should be able to do the R rated version of this. You know? Yeah, really. Um, or at least something a little bit more aggressive than, than what it is. That's and what so, I was expecting. Yeah. They did reshoots. Right to up to to make it more like they they had fan outcry and they did reshoots to make it more interesting and they still couldn't pull it off. The issue with the Joker is that Jared Leto is just not very good as the Joker. No, um, more so than like a problem with the character. I did again. I, I really liked uh, Margot Robbie. I really hope they do like a Harley Poison Ivy movie at some point. Apparently, that is the next thing in the works is an all female, like Gotham villainesses kind of yeah, yeah. movie. So, you know, that'd be interesting to see. I'd be because that was a that was a really great episode of the animated series, by the way, with Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn. That was a really good episode. But uh, if you want to see the real Suicide Squad movie, watch the uh, Batman Arkham Asylum uh, movie, that uh, the animated one. 
we needed to cover some of those animated films. I know that uh, you've been you've been kind of pushing me to to watch those, and I think that's I think 2017 is our year. We're going to start covering some of that. Yeah, let's do it. Let's put it. Let's set it in stone. Uh, he also lists uh, Star Wars Rogue One, which I haven't seen, but I've heard differing opinions on it. I've heard it's a. I have heard though it's a really good action movie. I don't know. Some people said it's not a very good Star Wars movie though, but uh, we'll see. I haven't heard anybody actively dislike the film yet. The worst I've heard is kind of, eh. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know some Star Wars fans who are pretty pumped about it. And people saying that it was actually sort of interesting and not just, you know, you know, yeah. a length fest, you know, which it could have easily been. So we'll see. I'll, I'll probably yeah. see it eventually. Yeah, uh, 13 hours? I don't I don't know what that one is. I, I don't think I'm familiar with that one. Yeah, I don't know that one. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Deadpool? Yeah, Deadpool, I agree, is a really good action film. Yeah. Yep. I would agree with that. That's that's probably the most fun I had in the theater this year was Deadpool. Yeah, uh, Magnificent Seven. Uh, I'll definitely agree with that. It's an excellent action film. I'll have more on that later. Also, the Mechanic Resurrection. Uh, Got to disagree with that one, Cameron. I, I found it to be a really subpar Jason Statham vehicle. It, it's not even as good as the first one. It has a couple good set pieces. I'll give it that. Like, there's this really good set piece where he has to assassinate a guy who has this big swimming pool that sort of stretches out outside of his fucking high-rise building that's really well done. But other than that, I kind of found it kind of flaccid. Another one is Triple Nine, which I actually saw on Netflix, which is a uh, bank heist movie, and it was pretty decent. Kind of a weird ending, but pretty decent. So uh, interesting list there, Cameron. Thank you very much. Okay, uh, we have a comment from uh, Henry, and this is basically directed to me. He said, I was surprised to hear that you were so far behind the times. For the most part, DVDs are still good. Blu-rays just tend to be better, and there's plenty of occasions to notice it on a decent TV. I typically buy Blu-ray now when I have the option. I've been loath to upgrade my existing DVD library, but some releases are just too good to pass up. I recently splurged on the new Steelbook release of Phenomena... Creepers, as it's known in Canada, or was known in Canada for quite some time. And it's good enough that I can almost justify it. Something to consider as you shop around is going region-free. I think Daniel did it, and now I'm in the process of tracking down a good one. I hate region coding and think it's other bullshit in a global economy. Totally agree. With some movies and a lot of classics, British sci-fi like Doctor Who or Blake 7, I'm... Done holding my breath indefinitely for stateside releases or paying triple for rare titles. Yeah, I'm still on the fence of whether I'm going to grab up a Blu-ray. I'm sure I'll probably do it at some point. Probably not in my immediate future, but uh, I do have a couple of Blu-rays sitting here now in my collection that are dying to be tested out. So uh, I think I'll eventually get one. I I see there's a lot of decent uh, name brand Blu-ray players now for like, 99 bucks or even lower. So, um, I use my PS3 to watch Blu-rays. I mostly buy DVDs. I really don't bother with the, the Blu-ray format because I'm not really a film fan. <laughs> you <know>? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you just hate movies. Yeah, I just hate movies. You know, um, no, I just the it doesn't seem to make enough of a difference for me to uh, justify the the uh, the bigger the usually like 10 bucks more or something price. 
for the Blu-ray. Yeah, uh, as far as the region-free stuff goes, I'm 100% on board with that. I did buy a region-free DVD player this year. I didn't buy a Blu-ray player, but I did buy a region-free DVD player, specifically for some of those uh, Doctor Who releases, which are no longer available in the U.S. Yeah. Um, uh, it's definitely going to be something that uh, it definitely opened my uh, purchasing options uh, for the future. So. Nice, nice. Okay, and we have a comment from Mike Murphy. Um, it was in relation to the episode Paul and I did for uh, Halloween 3 and Night of the Creeps. He says, good episode, guys. I do agree with people jumping on the H3 bandwagon. It's, it's infectious in the horror podcasting community. One nerd says it's the best thing ever, and the rest jump on. That's how the horror cast seem to work. Eh, some of them do. I mean... Like, I, I follow a lot of horror podcasts. I'm not going to sit here and say a lot of them are just jumping on the bandwagon, so to speak, because uh, a lot of the ones I listen to, I really do respect the opinions of the people who, who uh, are on them, and I think they've come to their conclusions in a in an earnest sort of way. But it does seem to be like some kind of a general kind of fan tidal wave for Halloween 3 in certain re- respects. Uh, the the I have no problem, you know, people like going back and looking at movies and giving them a second look. But I do think there has been a lot of hyperbole thrown around for Halloween 3 as far as how fucking great it is. But that's just my personal opinion. I, th- I Still, I think it's a good movie. Uh, it's, it's definitely not as bad as it was initially uh, made out to be when it was first released. To call it like, you know, th- this unearthed gem from the 80s that everyone should see, I, I totally disagree with that. But... Uh, yeah, that's just where I sit at it. But uh, there you go. Have you ever yeah, seen? I haven't seen. I haven't seen Halloween three. Um, I've only seen the first two, and I meant to come on for that, and then just completely got busy and just didn't happen. So, um, uh, mostly I had the time to record, but I didn't see any of the movies. So I wouldn't make yeah, it. I thought about showing up and just being like, I didn't watch anything, but I'll hang out and make fun of you guys. So, you know. <laughs> well, we should make that an episode at some point where you just don't watch the movies and make fun of us, and uh, I should, I should fast forward through them. Yeah, you should be the Paul of that film. We'll make Paul actually sit down and watch a movie all the way through. And <laughs> <laughs> and finally, we have a comment from uh, CB Falls. Says, as far as our uh, our Halloween 3 and uh, Night of the Creeps uh, review goes, he said, amazing, fantastic, honest reviews of both movies. Ex- exclamation, 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 and then question mark. So... I don't know. The question mark take... is why isn't Daniel here? That was the question mark. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I thought he was taking back his. I was, I was. I was almost worried he was unsure of his comments because he says amazingly fantastic, and then he t- almost takes it back. And uh, I was a little disheartened there for a minute. No, I think. I think the question mark is he had three exclamation points in the question mark. I think he's trying to take away half of one of those exclamation. So like two and a half exclamation points. Was okay, where he was trying to go with that, you know. Uh, okay, so that's how punctuation works now. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I don't, I'm just I'm making <laughs> shit up. <laughs> whatever makes us look better is is the yeah, way. Whatever makes us, whatever makes you guys look better because I wasn't on that episode, so it's fine. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, yeah. parsing uh, punctuation okay. online is uh, is a hobby of mine. So you know, <laughs> can move on to what we've watched in the last little while, and I know you have a couple things there, Daniel. So uh, I'll throw it to you first. Sure. I actually got to see Office Christmas Party, uh, which is the new um, film. It's got Jason Bateman and Olivia Munn and Jennifer Aniston and Kate okay. McKinnon. Okay, I've from... heard of that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No. Um, it basically, 
we had a uh, the place where I work, like in my department. And then, you know, the boss. Like we had a like a party, like an actual party. And then uh, I guess they had a little bit of money left over in the budget and said, "Hey, who wants to go see a movie with me?" And so, like, some of us went and saw the movie with him, um, which was fun. And um, yeah, it's a silly comedy. It's not really worth spending money for in a theater unless you're just kind of going with a big group and having fun. Jason Bateman and Olivia Munn are a couple. I mean, they kind of become a couple. I mean, it's pretty obvious they're going to fuck at the end of the movie, but, you know, which is which is a little awkward because he's clearly, you know, 15 years older than she is, you know? Yeah. But yeah, no, uh, Kate McKinnon is great in it. Uh, Jennifer Aniston is great in it. It's not going to rock your world, but it's a fun little movie, and I, I recommend it, you know? Definitely worth at least a red or like when it shows up on Netflix or whatever. It's not terrible. Yeah. It, it kind of delivers what it's supposed to deliver. Um, and Courtney B. Vance, who I remember from Law and Criminal Intent mostly, um, yeah. he has a kind of a small role as uh, this kind of executive guy who goes completely apeshit at this party. So uh, that that's a fun watch as well. Yeah, the other things, I was going to do a, a little intermission episode for you, but then it's been so long since I've seen these films, I don't have anything more to say than what I'm going to say right now. So I'm just going to throw them in. Um, I did uh, recently, as in a couple months ago, saw a uh, 1960s spy caper film, like a parody film called Matchless. Um, this is from 1967. Okay. Have you seen this? No, I haven't. Uh, this is a, the story of a... Um, a journalist who gets captured in China who uh, is, he discovers a ring that makes him turn invisible for 10 minutes, um, but he can only use it every 10 hours or five minutes every 10 hours, something like that. Um, You you twist the ring in a certain way and suddenly you become invisible. And it's a bunch of vignettes in which he's being chased around by people and turning invisible to get away from them. Ironically, the film never really uses it as an excuse to deliver nudity, except for in um, a couple of, like, a very minor kind of sequence towards the See, beginning. See, that, that was going to be my question. Does this does this person not go to every women's changing room that he possibly well, could to? At the very beginning, okay, first of all, there's, like, hella racism, because he's in China at the beginning, and there's just, yeah. there's just a ton of racism going on in this film. Um, my wife kind of showed up halfway through and went, what the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, you know, that's one of those things where you just have to kind of go with that to some degree. There is a moment like towards the beginning where he kind of steps in on this Chinese girl who's taking a shower. And it's really like it's kind of tastefully done. There's a little bit of nudity, but not nothing, you know, mm-hmm. too, too um, obvious. Um, and then later on, he kind of hangs out with this like spy chick, basically, um, you know, the standards issue spy girl that shows up in any of these movies, um, who is uh, really hot. And um, she does take her clothes off. But you know, kind of behind the changing screen sort of thing, you know, right. so um, there's not really any kind of, any kind of, uh, they don't really use it for that. It's really more used just as uh, an excuse to do like the invisible man kind of like effects with the, the floating objects on strings, obviously. And then a lot yeah. of, lots of nudity of our protagonist because he has to take off his clothes to be invisible yeah. and it comes, <laughs> comes back up. And so he's like in this like, you know, room with a bunch of these, uh, you know, like joint chiefs and all that shit. And he's like naked behind a chair. So, there's a, you know, they kind of use it that way. Um, the uh, one big thing that might actually make you want to see it is Donald Pleasance is the uh, kind of main bad guy, like the bomb. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, so this was, this was after his Blofeld? Uh, this is 67, so I don't know where that falls in that range. I think that is after Blofeld. I think it is. Yeah, yeah so uh, it's very it's very clear. Um, you know, he's kind of having a good time. Um, he's a pretty goofy but but convincing villain. Um, this is not a great film. Um, I found it on Rare Last. You can go download it, you know, at your convenience. But it was worth seeing. I definitely, I was like, yeah, no, that was that was kind of fun. You know, it was worth it. You know, 
worth the you know eighty five minutes or whatever I put into it. Um, if if the Japanese made that movie, it would be vastly different. There'd oh, be a yes. lot more nudity. <laughs> oh yes, I kind of did want to see like an eighties version, you know, with the uh, you know with, uh, where they where they kind of push like oh we're gonna you got to go to the beach, you know, and uh, there there's this uh, jewel thief going on, you know, and and. Uh, <laughs> San Dimas or something, you know what I mean? Like, well, I think they kind of made that movie. It was that movie School Spirit, except for he was a ghost instead of a spy of a ring. <laughs> oh, I haven't seen that. Maybe that's the one where, yeah, that's the one where he's a ghost and he's so he's invisible and he gets to uh, basically uh, walk into women's dormitor- dormitories and uh, see them naked. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of that. There was a there was a film uh, called The Invisible Kid in the '80s. Yeah. It's got Jay Underwood who was that's on our, uh, that's on our master list. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I kind of put it there because this is one I kind of grew up with, and there's a lot of that kind of stuff happening there. Um, I hope we cover that as um, in sex comedy. Series. We'll do that. We will do that. Yeah. Uh, the only uh, the other movie I saw that um, I kind of grew up with, and uh, it showed up on Netflix, so I rewatched it, and it has some of your favorite uh, kind of character actors in it because um, it's a, I believe it's one of the tax shelter films. So this is Millennium from uh, 1990. Oh yeah. Um, this, uh, it's got Cheryl Ladd, it's got, yes. um, Chris Christopherson, Chris Christopherson. Yeah. This is, uh, definitely a film we need to talk about at some point, uh, because this is, uh, one of those kind of great little sci-fi movies. It's just kind of been forgotten. Um, mm-hmm. it's the, uh, one film that, um, John Varley actually ever wrote. Um, John Varley is a well-known kind of Hugo Nebula winning, uh, science fiction author. Okay. Um, and, uh, he actually wrote the, no- he wrote a short story called Air Raid. Then he wrote this into a novel, and then eventually it became a movie. And um, so it's actually a lot more, it takes its premise a lot more seriously than a lot of other stuff around that kind of time period. But it's got a couple of our favorite actors from Meatballs 3 are in this. <laughs> I, I do actually quite like that movie quite a bit. That was a movie I grew up watching. Like this, That was a movie, like one of, my, one of the movies my dad introduced me to, because he was always interested in, like, kind of weird sci-fi and interesting stuff like that. So it was like, hey, watch this. It's like a time travel movie, and it's got like an interesting twist on it, and it's more thoughtful than the usual bullshit. And it's like, yeah, it actually kind of is. Yeah. No, yeah. totally worth uh, totally worth. Uh, we should definitely try to chat about it then, because I, I like it as well. Um, you know, I remember being a kid and watching it and just like kind of blowing my mind a little bit that this mm-hmm. was a film. I mean, it was like one of my favorite films when I was like 10 years old, which shows you the kind of 10 year old I was. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, totally worth checking out at some point. Um, so yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, we'll, we'll fucking do that one. Definitely. And I do have a couple things to mention. Uh, the first I'm going to mention is X the Unknown from 1956. Have you ever seen this? I have not, but no? I really want to because it's called X the Unknown. And you're about to talk about it. This is a Hammer film from 1956. This is kind of the transition film for them between just doing kind of standard stuff to going deep into sci-fi and horror. Uh, this predates the blob, and it is basically a movie about a radioactive blob that creeps up from under the earth and starts killing people. It is really well done. It's it's kind of a... I think it's a precursor to the Hammer Quartermass films, uh, if, if yeah, I'm not mistaken. I think the first Quartermass is 59, so yeah. Yeah, uh, but it is really well done. It's very much in the same vein as the Quartermass films. Very much, again, you can kind of see the 
precursor to the early Doctor Who in this as well. Very much kind of the same idea. There's a lot of science-y, scientific stuff in it, but it's never boring or dull. It moves at a very quick pace. Really good special effects for its time. The fact that it's in black and white helps it quite a bit. It's very minimal in that sort of respect as well, but it works very well. And it definitely has some really good moments of horror. I mean, there's 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 a, a young boy dies in this film. I mean, it, it does kind of push some boundaries for 1956 that you usually wouldn't see. And it's intelligent and well done. And there's no camp, there's no goofiness or anything like that. It's probably one of the best examples of sci-fi horror films of that decade. So uh, very much worth watching. And it's on YouTube for free, so you can see it. And uh, I think you'll actually get a lot of this, Daniel. This is one... Uh, we either should cover for this podcast or you might want to consider covering for uh, Oi Spaceman at some point if, as, you know, sort of a, a proto-Doctor Who kind of story. No, I'm totally down. I mean, yeah, that sounds that sounds really interesting. Please, let's let's put that on the list and cover that this hmm. year, next year. Sweet. I don't know. When is this coming out? I assume this is coming out at the end of 2016. Yeah, this is going to, for people, uh, this is going to be the uh, basically the week of Christmas kind of podcast for us i guess uh so uh merry christmas everyone by the way happy merry holidays christmas. we've got we've got a dragon movie on, on yeah uh, <laughs> yeah nothing, that, that was, <laughs> not, nothing nothing is more festive than uh quetzalcoatl fucking quetzalcoatl, yeah chopping people's heads off but uh there, there you go x the unknown uh it's great and actually i just i just kind of jumped in that because it's like i was doing q the winged serpent and then like that came a sort of came up in a search query when I was doing that. It was like, X the Unknown, cue the winged serpent. Hey, there we go. I'll check this out. And hey, it was really great. It was. We should do a series of letter movies. V for Vendetta. <laughs> v for Vendetta. Jeez, I, what, what other ones are there? <laughs> yeah. all, now all I can think about is those Sue Grafton series of novels, you know? A is for Alibi, you know. Yeah. The other one I'll mention is Magnificent Seven remake of this year. Actually, very much worth your time. I was kind of, you know, hesitant because it's like, okay, what what else can they do that's going to be any better than their original Magnificent Seven or the original film that it was based on The Seven Samurai? But they actually pull off a really entertaining Western. It's kind of a throwback. It's definitely uh, one that sort of digs deep in the sort of classic Western cliches to a certain degree. And it's got the actors to pull off the film and make it memorable. And I was pretty goddamn impressed with it. I was. It, it doesn't shit on the previous movies at all. It, it doesn't approve on them, really. It, it changes things around. It's almost kind of a remake of both Magnificent Seven and uh, Hang 'Em High to a certain degree. I won't spoil that for anybody, but it does sort of have that element to it. It also kind of uh, steals from uh, Django Unchained to a certain degree as well. Interesting. And uh, Denzel Washington's character looks a lot like Fred Williamson from uh, his cowboy movie, Black Exploitation Cowboy movie, Boss Nigger. He kind of looks like him. It's like, okay, that's that's Boss Nigger right there. What the fuck's going on? <laughs> so I think Anton Fuqua knew what he was doing when he made this movie. Uh, and this is one of his better movies in the last last while. Like. Quite, quite some time now since he's done a really good movie, and I think this is a really good one. I think it's going to be unfairly shit upon because it's a remake, but uh, I think people should look into it because it's actually really entertaining. It's got Chris Pratt doing his Chris Pratt thing. Works very well. He's, he's basically doing the Steve McQueen role in this one, and he does a really great job. 
the movie kind of um, changes up who dies and who doesn't die compared to Magnificent Seven. Ethan Hawke is excellent in this, and Vincent D'Onofrio is wow. Like that's an Oscar worthy performance that he does in this. It's really really oh. good. So. I've always been a big fan of his. I mean, for for years and years, I've been a big fan of his. So, yeah. yeah. No, uh, based on your recommendation, I'll probably try to check that out at some point. Just because I was on like, yeah, it's probably, be, I mean, it'd be fun to see. But, like, I mean, I don't even really, I mean, I love The Seven Samurai. I mean, I think we should definitely mm-hmm. cover Seven Samurai yeah. at some point. I mean, it's Kurosawa's masterpiece as far as I'm concerned. I mean, of masterpieces, I think that is his, like, really true masterpiece. Like, if you had to pick one at Seven Samurai. And so compared to that, Magnificent Seven is kind of like, yeah, it's, I mean, it's just not Seven Samurai. You know? Like, yeah. it's it's the Hollywood version. It's fine, you know? And so then, you know, okay, then a second generation deep is like, well, you know, how good is this going to be? But, um, yeah. Basically, recommendation. Um, I almost saw it in theaters, but then um, my wife just was like, no, I'm not going to go see that. Because yeah. she has no interest whatsoever in Westerns. So, yeah, sorry, yeah. that's fine. But it's, it's interesting because... Um... With the original uh, Magnificent Seven, Akira Kurosawa told John Sturges that that was a great movie. Like you, you did my movie yeah. justice. And, yeah, yeah, and, no, I'm not. I'm not shitting on the original. It's just no, 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 no. But it's it's funny because like Sturges like consider that like the greatest compliment he ever got for any of his movies. Looking at the original Magnificent Seven, as great as it is, I don't think this movie necessarily is lesser to too much of a degree like it doesn't it's not bad it's it's not bad it doesn't shit on the original magnificent seven at all like it's it's got really great performances i mean you're not going to get the same kind of name value iconic performances from the actors that you had from the original but from what they have it's actually really great it doesn't you know it doesn't diminish anything with, from the original yeah. story, so I think I think it might be worth doing a uh, doing the two of them as a as a twofer down the down the line a little bit, or we could just do a giant fucking episode with Seven Samurai, Magnificent Seven, and the remake, and then we could just briefly mention all the other Seven Samurai ripoffs that have been out there as well. <laughs> <laughs> the first five hour podcast we've ever done. Yeah, week two of talking about the Seven Samurai. <laughs> but yeah, uh, definitely worth checking out, guys. Uh, especially anyone who's you know been sort of hesitant, kind of wondering, uh, maybe I will, maybe I won't. I would say do it. It's actually worth your time. But yeah, there we go. Badasses, Boobs, and Body Counts is a weekly podcast that discusses grindhouse and exploitation cinema. Your three hosts, Mike. It's a quick. <laughs> Thank you. Come again. Not racist at all. Mark. If you bend over and you have what is essentially a pubic cottontail coming out of the crack of your ass, you need to do some goddamn grooming. And listener favorite, Iris. I do not have sex with that horse. <laughs> will make you question your own political correctness while laughing at theirs. Episodes drop every Sunday and can be found by searching BB and BC Podcasts via Libsyn, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and iHeartRadio. You can also listen to episodes directly from the show's website at badassesboobsandbodycounts.com. Looking for something different in your podcast library? Then why not check out the podcast Under the Stairs? I'm the host Duncan McLeish and joining me each week will be a special guest as we examine some classic old school horror favourites as well as some modern classics. 
That's not to say that we don't tackle some of the, let's say, more questionable entries into the horror genre. And if all that wasn't enough, we have a subset of shows called Baz V Horror, where our horror novice, The Baz, tackles horror in all shapes and forms to see who will come out victorious. So what are you waiting for? The show can be found at podcastunderthestairs.wordpress.com and on Stitcher and iTunes. The Podcast Under The Stairs is a proud member of Legion Podcast Network. This is Duncan McLeish from Under The Stairs, signing off. Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? An obscure body in the SK system, Your Majesty. The inhabitants refer to it as the planet Earth. How peaceful it looks. Most effective, Your Majesty. Will you destroy this Earth? Destroy it. Send Rick and Danny in Wool Rocket Ajax. So, just destroy it? That's what Ming said. Don't you ever listen? Well, there's no arguing with Ming. Hail, Hail Ming. Ming. Wait! You see those transmissions on the Visua screen? Crow? Nightmare on Elm Street? Chud too? Black Belt Jones? Nightbreed? What's a critter? Oh, I've seen those things. Flash? I guess we could wait a while before the destruction. Yeah, and watch the movies. And talk about them. The Hell Ming Power Hour. Disobedience to Ming. For now. You can find us at Legion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook. iTunes. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. At www. You know what? Just Google it for yourself. Just Google it, you bastages. Hail Ming. Breaking 2? Electric Boogaloo? Samurai Cop? Army of Darkness? Flash Dance? <laughs> <laughs> We might destroy the planet if it's flashback.
we can move on now to our movie that we're going to be talking about tonight. It is Q, The Winged Serpent from 1982. For ten centuries it has waited to be awakened, to be worshipped again like a god, to fill the skies, to cast its shadow over the earth, to release its fury. Today in New York City, the winged serpent rises. The winged serpent rules. The winged serpent. David Carradine. This thing has been prayed back into existence. Michael Moriarty. It was big and there was something in it that looked like an egg. But it couldn't have been an egg. I mean, there aren't any eggs on the egg that big. Richard Roundtree. What I want to know is... How the hell is this tie in with the murders and the mutilations? Candy Clark. What are you going to do if someone dies tomorrow, or the next day, or the next day? Well, I'm not going to think about it, you know? It won't be my fault. It'll be theirs if they don't give me what I want. Money. One million dollars in cash tax-free. They are searching. Looking good! Discovering. <laughs> Believing. And preparing for the battle of a thousand years. Both tracer ammunition. Want to see the trajectory? Get those guns in the basket! Okay, everybody hold their positions. Everybody stay right where you are, all right? Don't move! against the fantastic flying forces of a lost age. You like saying a prayer? A man against the winged serpent. Today in New York City, the winged serpent rules. The legend has come alive. Written and directed by Larry Cohen, who uh, you may know from uh, doing some early black exploitation stuff like uh, Bone or Black Caesar, and uh, then he moved on to do a lot of uh, interesting horror stuff in the uh, '70s and '80s. Uh, the It's Alive trilogy and the stuff are the most notable stuff. Uh, <laughs> most notable stuff uh, after this film. And it is starring Michael Moriarty as Jimmy Quinn. Of course, you might know uh, Michael Moriarty, American-Canadian actor from uh, Bang the Drum Slowly, Pale Rider. Did a couple other movies with uh, Larry Cohen, including The Stuff and It's Alive 3. Uh, we have Candy Clark, who we uh, last saw in The Big Sleep on this podcast, is Joan. David Carradine as Shepard. Richard Roundtree, Shaft himself, as Powell. James Dixon as Lieutenant Murray. Peter Hook as De- Detective Clifford. Ron C. as uh, De- Detective Hoberman. Larkin Ford as the curator. Larry Pine as the professor. Eddie Jones as the watchman. And Shelley Desai as Kahi. And uh, do you have a synopsis of any sort, Daniel? Or? I am just going to read the one from Wikipedia because it's pretty good. Excellent. Go ahead. 
The Aztec god Katakotl, a winged dragon-like female lizard, decides to take up residence in the Art Deco spire of the Chrysler building, taking frequent jaunts in the midday sun to devour various hapless New Yorkers. That sentence alone was enough to make me just want to read this. (laughs) The resulting bloody mess confounds detectives uh, Shepard and Sergeant Powell, who are already occupied with a case involving a series of bizarre ritual murders linked to a secret Aztec cult. Meanwhile, Jimmy Quinn, a cheap, paranoid crook who wishes to be a jazz pianist, takes part in a botched diamond heist that leads him to the creature's lair atop the building. This causes Quinn's attempts to settle down and turn over a new leaf from, from crime to be in vain, as he decides to extort from the city an enormous amount of money in exchange for directions to the creature's nest, which houses a colossal egg. The details of the location fall into Shepard's hands, and he leads a paramilitary assault on the Chrysler building. After the showdown, the creature, riddled with bullets, falls onto the streets of Manhattan. Finally, Shepard also apprehends and shoots the plumed serpent's crazed priest as he prepares to ritually murder Quinn to resurrect his god in the final scene. The egg hatches as the screen fades to black. And I'm kind of assuming this is probably your first time watching this, uh, Daniel? Yeah, yeah. I um, I think our friend Jack Graham recommended it, and I was like, oh, yeah, sure, no problem. I, based on the title, I was expecting, like, a sword and sorcery, like high fantasy, you know, like, yeah. I, I cue the moon serpent, like, that's it, like Conan the Barbarian kind of clone sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so, turned it on and went, oh, that's what this movie, oh, that's a really interesting choice. Um, so, yeah, my <laughs> first time watching it. Yeah, so uh, what are your initial thoughts on this one? Um, I like this. For me, it, it's it's kind of taking the this genre which I like, which is this kind of police procedural kind of thing, um, kind of crime film, low rent hood kind of film, and then putting it's kind of a serial killer film where the serial killer is an Aztec god. That's sort of what the film <laughs> is, you know. I mean, you could have instead of it be like the creature's lair, you could have it be like the serial killer's, you know, place he goes to kill his victims, and mm-hmm. the structure of the film doesn't really change at all. You know, yeah, it's a fun movie. It's 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 a uh, pretty character based. I love all the actors in it. Really, everybody. I mean, Michael Moriarty. I mean, uh, we can't. I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about Michael Moriarty yeah. here shortly. But uh, you know, uh, Carradine and Roundtree are both really nice. Uh, Candy Clark. I really like Candy Clark in this. She's I think. Good. I mean, she was she was just weird in The Big Sleep. Like it wasn't. Yeah. It's not her fault that The Big Sleep is terrible. Yeah, you know? The Big Sleep is at fault there. <laughs> yeah, that, and we're talking about the '70s Big Sleep here. Yeah. For anyone who doesn't remember our episode on that. Um, but like, if you remember her in like Man Who Fell to Earth, which I hope we cover mm-hmm. at some point, um, she she's really good. She's really great here. I'm kind of sorry we're doing it just because I I like the movie. I it's it's interesting. I think there's some uh, kind of a clever subtext kind of going on, which I'll I'll, I'll kind of talk about. But overall, it's just it's just it was a lot of fun to watch. Like it was really entertaining, and it's on YouTube, so you can just go and watch it. Yeah, this is a really fun throwback. I mean, uh, Larry Cohen was uh, working on I, the Jury, and he got fired from it. He had this idea in his head where he looked up at the Chrysler, uh, according to him, he looked up at the Chrysler building, and he thought to himself, that would be a great place for a nest. That would be a great place for a big bird nest. And he he sort of was determined, okay, if I'm going to be fired from I, the Jury, I'm going to make my own fucking movie. And he did. Uh, it also starts with one letter, apparently. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> serpent. Yeah, we're we're just gonna start adding them to the list, you know. More yeah, and, single letter movies. And I mean, he the pre he just did this fucking incredibly quick. The pre production for this movie was one week. Mm-hmm. He didn't waste any time at, at all. He he hired some actors that were uh, in either jury. Candy Clark was in in either jury, uh, or I think she was. I'm kind of trying to remember it was, it was one female star in i the jury anyway that was also in this but yeah he, he was determined to kind of 
I guess he kind of had a little bit of angst going on where he's like determined to beat I the jury. And uh, so he, he, he brought a bunch of people on board. He brought Carradine on board uh, without telling him what the script was. He just like show up (laughs) because they were both uh, buddies in the army. Uh, So they always wanted to make a film together and he sent him a message. Carradine was at the the cons film festival at the time. And he said, uh, Show up June 14th in New York with clothes for a New York detective. And that's all he <laughs> told him. And then Carradine came on and uh, wrote, sort of read the script as he was going, uh, basically. And and most of this was shot on location in New York. I mean, most a lot of the stuff you see inside of the Chrysler building is the actual inside of the Chrysler building. I mean, the only shot you see inside of the Chrysler building that isn't actually there is the shot of the egg. Which was done on a done in a different place, but other than that, most of it's all on location. A lot of it was done illegally without any sort of permission to do, and you can kind of see that when you're seeing stuff on the streets where people are directly walking by and looking at the cameras, you know, filming the movie. So, so that's kind of fun, and and I just love that this is. Uh, a real fucking throwback to 1950s kind of monster movies. And yeah. it's done in a way that's just kind of charming. It, it's it's almost kind of a... Have you ever seen The Giant Claw? No. Uh, do you even know what that that one is? Have you... No. By the way, ever, I think I the Jury has to go on our list. I was just looking at it to see who, if I could figure out who was in that. Candy Clark isn't in that, but Armanda Sante is, and it's based on Mickey Spillane. So I think we also need to add that to our list. By the way, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll put that on then. Yeah, some Sorry. someone from someone from I the Jury has come over though in 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 this movie though. I'm uh, I'm pretty sure, but um, you probably haven't seen the Giant Claw, but I'm pretty much guarantee you've probably seen the giant goofy bird that was the monster in the giant claw. That sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, But this is essentially an update on that classic uh, movie to a certain degree. And it's, you know, it's the better version of that because the giant claw was just, this classic uh, legendary abortion. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I'm looking at the, the, the Google image search, the giant claw. So yes, I have seen (laughs) it before. Um, Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of, I kind of love, there's, there's a a kind of, I want to say Harryhausen-esque, but it doesn't even rise quite to the level of Harryhausen, you know, it's got kind of a B grade Harryhausen. Uh, I would, I would argue that I think some of the stuff really does, Echo Harryhausen really well. Sure, sure, sure. Stuff is really cheap, but you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's clearly. I mean, the movie looks great. I don't. I mean, I'm not. I it, so I will say at first, I thought they were trying to imply that the um, the winged serpent was uh, invisible. Because like you know they had so many shots of like people like kind of like just looking up and then like heads would get lopped off but then you never really saw the thing mm-hmm. and it's like how was it able to fly in the middle of the city and and they even have a line of dialogue that like lampshades that well like the bird it flies in the direction of where people are looking into the sun so they can't yeah. see the thing and I'm like yeah yeah that's how that works clearly. <laughs> <laughs> with a 360 degree panoramic view you know that's how it works it just stays with behind the light with all the time anyway um it, it is it is kind of a fun thing uh, and then once you're like oh no no and then i thought like only certain people could see the bird because you get shots where people are looking at it but then mm-hmm. no one else would seem to react and so uh, it was i i really thought there was going to be some kind of like psychological horror dimension that was kind of going oh, on yeah. with this. but then it, it doesn't go that direction at all um which is fine i mean uh, that was just kind of like a fun thing yeah yeah, it's it's uh, I, I do I actually do love the effects. I love uh, 
I was expecting it. It's very sparse until you get to the very end, and then you get like, quite a bit of like cool, like uh, basically the King Kong sequence, if we can call yes. it that. You know, <laughs> it's like a combination of King Kong and the opening of uh, Dawn of the Dead. You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you know, the kind of paramilitary assault simultaneous with uh, you know giant um, piece of special effects attacking a building. So you know that's that's a, that, a that's nice where, little uh, nice that's, little where the, that's where the special effects sort of start to fail a little bit, where you see it's sort of like the claymation people getting like thrown off the building and stuff but yeah, right. well like, and, and rear projection and stuff you know so yeah. there's a lot of that kind of stuff uh but you know for me it's like i mean clearly i mean the film looks good i really mm-hmm. like the look of the film i really love i mean some of the shots like that opening shot where it's just like the dude hanging off the side of the building sort of thing you know yeah um after you kind of pan over and then you see you like the window washer which is which is a a really nifty little thing to do honestly i was i i'm always impressed in kind of low budget films like this when there's any attempts to do any kind of like really clever cinematography because that's not what people are showing up for yeah um, so i was i was definitely impressed on just on that level um here knowing like how quickly this was made it's even more impressive quite honestly that fucking window washer is fucking crazy he didn't have any he all he had was straps holding him on that fucking building he didn't have anything else <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's a guy i mean that's he's not uh, here's my here's my uh philosophy here he's not really a window watcher he's just a pervert although actually he was a real window washer from the for that building Oh, nice. He was like he was just basically cast because he was a window washer. And, then, and then when you think about it, could you actually pay an actor willing to actually get outside on that building with those two straps and hold them with nothing else supporting him? I don't think it was going to happen. <laughs> not, not, not without a. Um, I mean, maybe a stunt guy would do it, but you yeah. know, yeah, that's a uh, yeah. I wouldn't. Like no. hell no, <laughs> but yeah, no fun movie. Talking about, uh, I think David Carradine gives a really like understated kind of performance. Yep. You know, we, we kind of think of him as is the, uh, I mean, you know, Kane from Kung Fu. I mean, we just kind of think yeah. of him as that guy, right? I really buy him here. Is this is this police detective? I buy him as this guy who's kind of a working class schlub to a certain degree, which is which is fun. You know, you don't get the sense that he. I mean, he's kind of new to this. He is. He doesn't come in with this all this knowledge or anything, you don't get to like some mystical thing that he just like, Oh yeah, of course this is what this is. Um, he's just, kinda, he basically just goes to the library. And it's like, yeah, I'm going to borrow these books for a while. I mean, it does. I mean, again, it kind of reminds me a little bit of like something like seven, you know, where Brad Pitt is like, you know, trying to cram these books into his head because Morgan Freeman is off kind of being brilliant. Morgan Freeman. I mean, this is kind of the anti seven in a way. Yeah. It really is just like, okay, we're going to go, we're going to get the exposition, the plot dump. And then uh, just kind of, move on with the investigation but um yeah yeah he's a little incredulous about the whole thing but he's willing to learn he's like he's got he's a detective with an open mind and when he finally becomes convinced that yes this giant aztec serpent has been incarnated into our reality through mystical rituals and stuff i need to (laughs) write a report on this and he presents a report to his captain or whatever and his captain's like we need to sweep this under the rug he's like really pissed off about it like he's really beside himself holy fuck you're really gonna sweep this under the rug and it's like yeah we're gonna sweep this under the rug because goddamn, we're gonna tell everyone there's a giant serpent in town eating people Uh, although you know kind of defeats the purpose at the end where they finally kill the thing and the thing just drops into the streets and it's like well everyone's gonna know then but well there was a giant serpent but thankfully we killed it so yeah (laughs) well that's all taken care of then (laughs) <laughs> I really do love the special effects here. Like uh, Randall William Cook, who's still alive today, 
actually got Oscars for uh, Lord of the Rings. He he did the Lord of the Rings oh. films, so he's still around. And David Allen, who unfortunately died in the nineties, but uh, the, I I honestly think these really hold up for to sort of Harryhausen standards. Uh, yeah. I think the only no, I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't trying to uh, diminish the no 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 um, I, 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 yeah no I know I, I'm just saying like I think one of the things to mention here is that we're really at the end of. Uh, sort of stop motion effects at this point. Like we're really at the transition point. Like it's the same thing where we're talking about uh, sort of practical effects with uh, like Terminator 2 and Robocop 2 when we were talking about that. We're, we're sort of at that same period here with these films. And I mean, you look at Harryhausen's stuff for uh, Clash of the Titans, which was around the same time within the, you know, couple year span. You kind of see where the sort of the colorization and uh, film quality kind of, hurts some of these effects to a certain degree. And I mean, I, this is a film I would not want to see on Blu-ray because I'm kind of really afraid (laughs) of how bad it might actually look. I think they still look great. great. And I think the film does a really good job of selling you on the idea. So when you do get to the point where you actually see the special effects, you buy into them anyway. I mean, for me personally, I did. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm in no way. I mean, when I say, you know, not quite to Harryhausen, I'm thinking like, you know, the, like the really great Harryhausen stuff, you know, from, mm-hmm. the, from the fifties, you know, those old Technicolor films where, you know, it doesn't quite have the like personality that Harryhausen seemed to be able to, to throw into the stuff. I think technically it looks great. Um, and there is, there is that kind of throwback quality and you're right. It is at the very end of that era. You know, yeah. because, um, you know, even a couple of years later, they do everything with animatronics. I mean, can you imagine this with like an animatronic dragon? Uh, so I keep calling it a dragon, but you know, whatever. It's basically a fucking dragon, right? Yeah. I mean, imagine this film with like animatronics. Imagine like post Jurassic Park. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, the thing that I really appreciate about this film is just the structure of it. It's just the idea that we're literally just doing like a cop drama with this like crazy premise in the middle, and it kind of made me think of uh, the Golden Child. Uh, the Eddie Murphy. Yeah, comedy. yeah, yeah. It's got a little bit of that, but without the comedy, you know, where it takes its like once you accept the premise, the film takes it completely seriously. There's never a moment where they're like winking at the camera with this. And that was sort of a Larry Cohen kind of thing too. Um, he he's pretty well known for kind of like injecting police procedurals into like sort of horror movies and bizarre movies. Like he wrote Maniac Cop, and right. he just we should cover that at some point. That's yeah, we never covered. Yeah, yeah, no, no, never did it. Uh, this is really well done. I think it's kind of overlooked, I guess. And I really love it. Uh, it's one I watched it. Actually, I watched it three times this week. I watched it once for the podcast and just watched it again and again just for the fuck of it because I like it so much. Yeah, if there's one thing, um, the version that I watched on YouTube, I this is this is really one where I think the sound mix of the version I saw on YouTube was just really bad. So mm-hmm. I had a hard time following some of the dialogue, and I didn't uh, have subtitles, obviously. So that was that. That's one thing that kind of detracts from my experience of the film a little bit is that I wasn't quite a hundred percent sure exactly what's going on during yeah. some of the sequences, just because the the dialogue was a little muddled. Um, I would like to. Well, I mean, I guess we'll get to this if there's a decent DVD release. This might be one I'd buy and like really. Visit because I did. Uh, I did quite enjoy the film. I mean, it's it's one of the most fun things I've watched in a while. Quite honestly, hmm. just on the pure cinema spectacle of it, it's almost got the seventies gritty crime drama. It's almost got like a Friends of Eddie Coyle quality to yeah, it. Yeah, really. Yeah, um, with Michael Moriarty's character, which I think we might want to get to that here pretty soon. You know? Yeah, let's let's talk about him because um, Michael Moriarty is kind of an interesting uh, guy. When you look at his early roles, he's kind of like on track to be like 
the other James Woods almost to mm-hmm. a certain degree. Like he's got sort of that same quality to him. He's a guy who whose career has kind of been stymied a bit by alcoholism. <laughs> a bit, yeah. No. He was apparently a really. Um, I know him mostly just just to say I know him mostly for right? seasons of Law and Order, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, where he's such a, and I really hadn't seen him in anything else. I mean, I might have seen him here and there and, and mm-hmm. stuff, but but I know him from that, and he's such this like moral, like a kind of authority figure. He's such a like quiet but steel backed man in that series, you know. And for all the issues with Law and Order, which I could get into, but that's a he's he's such a he's such a quiet kind of dignified person there and then seeing him as seeing him as this kind of whining street guy you know yeah was this really interesting experience for me uh just just on that level and kind of realizing how good he is but um it's kind of very well known particularly within the law and order kind of fan community that basically michael moriarty was a terrifying drunk for like a decade and uh that and a lot of a lot of why his career just kind of like petered out was was just that you know yeah, but um, which is uh, unfortunate because he's great. He's amazing in this. He is. Uh, this performance is fucking spectacular. It's just this really incredibly eccentric method performance. I mean, he he is a jazz musician uh, himself, and it almost feels like this character is <laughs> jazz music to a certain degree because he's just so erratic and paranoid and weird and jumps from here to there. And and it's kind of interesting. Like he's supposed to be the sort of the character you kind of should have empathy for, but he's kind of a he's he's a fucking scumbag. Like he's a real scumbag. He's he's a piece of shit, basically. I mean, he's he's kind of emotionally abusive to his girlfriend. Yeah. Or is that? I think he's his girlfriend, right? You know. He's yeah. kind of that guy. He's also just this. He ends up basically building this scheme so he's gonna like take take all the money that they, that he can get off of off of this creature. Well, he he's mentally um, unwell. Like he like he has yeah, yeah. some sort of problem. Like, <laughs> well, you're you're kind of originally. I think we're supposed to kind of feel sorry for him and it kind of. I mean, there's a character drama. I mean, you could imagine mm-hmm. again a Friends of Eddie Coyle kind of movie just about this character. You could basically yeah, follow this guy around as well, a like without the crazy monster movie yeah that's exactly it, you know? i was thinking um, there's, there's this crime drama here somewhere without the monster flying around biting people's heads well off. there's there's the character drama which is this guy i mean you can almost see him as like a fingers character right you know yeah. you can almost see him as kind of that kind of guy and then there's the kind of standard issue kind of cop movie richard roundtree and uh you know um Carradine, who i can only imagine like i want to see like 60 movies with these two guys as yes. uh, you know just cop you know, cop movies with them, like chasing down, you know, tough guys, um, which would be so much fun. So there's that movie. And then the winged serpent thing, which just comes out of like sword and sorcery, high fantasy. So it is this like really interesting mix of all three. And yet it kind of works. So it's kind of amazing that they literally, this was just thrown together really quickly um, because it, you know, finding ways of like matching all this tone together, you can imagine this going really, really terribly, but there's, there's a real, there's a weird amalgam, it's kind of happening here. There's this um, real um, alchemy is the word I'm looking for, where yeah. it, the, the film just works. Um, regardless everybody, of what it, what it <laughs> everybody fucking throws into this. Like they just, yeah. they take it serious. They throw into it. it, it they're, they're, they're kind of determined to make like a fifties throwback film that was serious with, without the goofiness, you know, like you look back at a lot of these fifties uh, monster movies and stuff. Like generally most of the characters play it straight anyway. Right. But there's always something fucking goofy. I mean, you, you go back to the giant claw. 
that that movie, everyone in the in the fucking film plays it straight, but the giant claw is just so fucking incredibly goofy. Like it looks like a Warner Brothers cartoon that it it ruins the entire movie, and you can't do it. But here, fucking Q looks menacing enough, believable enough, and the way Cohen shoots it and just sort of dulls out Q in small doses until you finally see the entire winged serpent. It just works really well. He he builds it up, and it pays off at the end, and it's really well done. And I just love that he manages to mesh these two films together, these two genres, the police procedural and monster movie, and they work yeah. really well together. So Yeah, no. It's, uh, I mean, it's it's almost like it goes... This is definitely underseen. I'd never heard of it. You mm-hmm. know, and uh, really... This is worth your time. And, I mean, a, a movie called Q the Winged Serpent does not sound like... I mean, that <laughs> kind of sounds awful, right? You know? like, yeah. Like, it, it sounds like this, like, kind of... Pe- like, like if it's fun, it's fun because it's, like, it was kind of cheesy and dumb. But I got involved. Like, I was a little sitting there watching it. I'm like, this is actually, like, a, a compelling l- little movie, you know? Yeah. Um, it's not it's not the greatest movie I've ever seen, but it was, it was a hell of a lot of fun. And um, go check it out. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah uh, <laughs> box office for this was uh, 4.5 million uh, on a budget of 1.2 million. And uh, the funny thing here is that uh, Larry Cohen actually beat uh, the jury that he got fired <laughs> off of because they, in the first week, they tripled the, uh, the jury's 1.5 million uh, box office. Um, so good for you, Larry Cohen. Uh, you told him to basically stuck it to him. DVD Blu-ray release release for this. I own the Blue Underground. It was the standard DVD release. And then Shout Factory came back in 2013 with uh, DVD and Blu-ray uh, discs for this. So uh, if, you want, if you want to check that out, there's uh, definitely different ways to get it. And of course, like we said, free on YouTube. Yeah, I think we both sort of give a recommendation for this one. This is one to uh, check out if you haven't seen it. If nothing else, for Moriarty's performance, right? that it's, yeah. it's a truly phenomenal performance, and um, highly recommended. You know, it's, yeah. it's it's a it's a great little movie. It's just it's it's a ton of fun. It's really interesting. Go into it and enjoy. Yeah, yeah. And, and what else? What else do you want from a movie called Q the Winged Serpent? Really? <laughs> you know, like this is not this is not like Oscar Beatty. This is not going to change your life. I mean, the one thing you can kind of like say is like it, it's kind of about this like buried you know, America built on this kind of like Native American burial ground kind of concept. Mm-hmm. So like the city is, is basically like the serpent is kind of rising to like eat us because we're, you know, um, doing horrible, we've done horrible things to the indigenous people and all that sort of thing. But the movie doesn't really do anything with that. It's just kind of buried with it. I mean, it's almost like built into the, the basic premise of the film is that sort of thing, you know? Yeah. And I, I will say people, if you watch this, you're going to laugh too, because there's some really good jokes in this too. Like, yeah there's a sort of offhand joke about the best food in New York. Why, why wouldn't this God come here and start eating people? Cause we're known for our great food. We're known for our great food. Should eat people's heads. There we go. <laughs> Although it is kind of like, what is the, I mean, it, I feel like, you know, what does the serpent eat? Because it, like, you kind of see it like chomp on people and then heads roll around. But I always kind of thought, is it trying to like bite the heads off? And like, is it really feeding or is it just like killing people? I mean, I that was kind of my, it's just kind of killing people because, it's kind of hinted that this is sort of a physical manifestation of a God that's probably like outside of our universe to some degree. Mm-hmm. Like there, there, I don't know if they put this much thought into it, but I just kind of immediately being kind of a Lovecraft nerd. I kind of think of 
okay, this is some sort of entity that's outside our universe that manifests in this way in our world. And whatever the uh, Aztec priest going around killing all these like museum curators and stuff, <laughs> willingly, by the way, all these these curators just sort of give themselves up to Q as a sacrifice. Um, right. and get, it gets skinned, which again, great effects by the way. But yeah, oh, it, yeah. like that was, that was like, um, I, I kept thinking of like Jalo almost in terms of like yeah. some of the skinning effects. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I just kind of felt like it was kind of hinted that this creature is a sort of a physical manifestation of that God and that God still goes on in whatever plane of existence that actually exists you know yeah. uh, it, it's just kind of when it comes to our reality it's bound by the uh laws of our reality so that's why david carradine and his uh hapless fucking friends can machine gun the fuck out of it <laughs> <laughs> i mean there is that I was thinking about Doctor Who because there's an episode called Kill the Moon from uh, two years ago <laughs> and where the moon is a giant dragon egg. Uh, sorry, spoilers for, you know, for Doctor <laughs> Who there. Um, and it's the stupidest premise ever. And I like there are justifications for that. But but basically, you know, where the whole thing is like this whole argument, like it's it's supposed to be this like trolley problem of like, well, if we don't destroy the thing, then you know, it's um, going to kill us all. But like, then it's like this unique form of life. And none of that happens in this film. This is just like, Oh, there's an egg. Kill it. Like, yeah. I mean, when, when David Carradine is literally just machine gunning the egg, you know, like, Oh yeah, well sure. It's this magical creature. Yeah, just kill it. It's done. You know, there's yeah. no, there's no debate about it. So, um, <laughs> that was definitely kind of a fun moment. Cause I'm like, Oh yes, this is how people, whether they should or not is a question, but like, this is how people would actually behave. Oh, fuck it. It's dead. <laughs> you know? I do. I do have to question though. Why would anybody set themselves out on a platform outside of the Chrysler building to shoot at this thing? Why would they not all be in the Chrysler building shooting out of windows where they were least likely to be snatched up by the fucking, Wing serpent and then drop to their fucking deaths. <laughs> well, you know, because then you wouldn't have these truly stupendous special effects of people falling to the yeah, in the film, <laughs> where they all look like Gumby being thrown into a building somewhere. But yeah, uh, enough of that. Daniel, where can people uh, find you on the interwebs? Uh, I do a podcast uh, occasionally <laughs> called Always Spaceman about true love story, and it has various other uh, threads. Um, we do a Red Dwarf thread. We're doing, um, I don't know, lots of stuff that's going on. Uh, you can find that at oispaceman.lipson.com. That's oispaceman.lipson.com. Or on Twitter at Daniel Lee Harper. So check me out. Awesome. And, uh, of course, you can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com where you can find our YouTube, iTunes, and Facebook links. And go to our Facebook group. Join up. Give us questions, comments, suggestions, all that good stuff. If you... Uh, go to iTunes, give us a five-star rating and a review. Um, I'm going to change around the uh, different uh, region codes and see if we get any more reviews. We have one from Mike Murphy. You could be number two if you... Uh, and just, just let us know, by the way. If, if you actually do leave us a review and you're uh, outside of Canada, just let me know so I can change the re- region uh, coding on that and see your actual review. And thank you live on the air. <laughs> So yeah, we will. We will read our reviews live on the air. We will. We will do anything if you. If you. If you correspond to us, we will uh, respond. That's just you know, the they must be destroyed on site. A promise. Yeah, uh, send money to our Patreon. Uh, join Audible.com uh, with our uh, code. And uh, if you like this, if you like this episode, the ones behind the paywall are even better. That's right. They're 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 totally awesome. Yeah, they're the uh, same episodes. They're just twice as long and twice as drunk. That's <laughs>
<laughs> but uh, yeah, until then, uh, Daniel, thank you for joining me, and uh, we'll be back with our best of, and uh, we'll we'll round out the year that way. But uh, until yeah. then, goodbye, people. Goodbye. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For past episodes, links to the host's other stuff, and links to various podcasts and websites of similar interest, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. There you can also find our iTunes, YouTube, and Facebook links. Please join our Facebook group, as this is the best way to get in contact with us and to keep up to date with what's coming up on the podcast. We also can be found as part of the Oi Spaceman family of podcasts at oispaceman.com, where you can find various sci-fi-themed podcasts about Doctor Who, Red Dwarf, Firefly, and classic sci-fi novels. If you decide to subscribe to us through iTunes, please take a moment to leave us a star rating and a review. Thank you. Drive through. <laughs> <laughs>